welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is David Rowlands. I'm the Head of Content at B2B Marketing. And I'm joined by Jade Tambini, aka B2B Jade, the uh, host of the B2B Marketing Gap Podcast. So Jade, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thanks for having me, David. Been a long time coming. Yeah, exactly. It's been a very long time coming, but we're here at long last. So thank you for joining. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, your your all this great stuff you're doing on TikTok, um, something you are, you are kind of branding the marketing gap. Um, but before we do, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up where you are today? Sure, thanks. Yeah, so I worked in corporate and B2B marketing um, for quite a while. So 2006, I started my sales journey. And then moved into marketing in 2009 and basically built my way up to being in a head of marketing role at DS Smith PLC, um, one of the biggest companies in the world, a manufacturing business, and did a few local roles at marketing director level. And then in 2016, it just felt like, do you know what, it might be time to answer some of the people who are asking me if I can help with their marketing. At the time, I was chair of the CIM in Wales and I was just getting loads of really great connections. So were setting up Tambini Marketing, my consultancy business, seemed like a natural step to help a few different businesses. And then in that eight years since then, it's just evolved so much. And I think, you know, inspired by a lot of the things that you guys talk about in the future of B2B, I started to notice this friction between sales and marketing, this gap where junior marketers were being asked to deliver leads in isolation of any strategy, of any effective resourcing and the appropriate budget. And I just started to more and more taking marketing seriously, were employing junior marketers and then expecting results without the presence of a CMO. And I thought, you know, if my mission in the world is to make B2B marketing work much better, surely it's my job to kind of do a little bit more to help plug that gap. Um, And so it initially started with consulting the CEOs and saying, look, guys, I'm for marketers. Your marketer is is actually performing pretty well. It's not their fault. They're very junior. You need a strategy. Let me help you create that strategy and fill that gap myself. And then over time, the more that I heard marketers getting mistreated, blamed, undervalued, I thought, do you know what? I want to work with the marketers. I want to empower them to be strategic. And so my business has almost evolved from Tambini Marketing into this B2BJ TikTok and podcast presence and free webinars online coaching for marketers to really help them move up themselves. So rather than me being the person to constantly fill the gap, it's like, let me empower you as to how you can have these difficult conversations, challenge leadership, have ask for more budget, become more strategic. Um, so yeah, that's in a nutshell, the, the B2B Jade business. Cool. Okay. So the gap, uh, the marketing gap. So this, is that purely kind of caused by like a lack of senior leadership from a marketing point of view? Um, Or is there, is there something else going on there as well? Do you think? I think it's a couple of things. I think even where at times there are marketing directors, if they've come from a place where they were the junior marketer who got promoted from being seen as like, oh, they're great at doing tasks and doing campaigns. And then they end up in a marketing director role and they're actually not strategic themselves. Mm. Um, that's one issue we have in B2B. But then the other issue is, yes, there are not enough um, marketing directors on boards. Now, obviously, in very large enterprises, in huge corporates, this isn't a problem a lot of the time because you've got that representation on the board. But I'm talking about the kind of SME businesses where traditionally 
B2B marketing was like the support function to sales because you didn't need marketing necessarily to grow free internet being a big part of how people make decisions. And so I think what's happened is, is particularly older leaders have gotten stuck somewhere around 2008, 2010, thinking that the outreach model with sales, just provide with marketing, just providing collateral is still going to work not recognizing that buyers now want to digitally self-serve. They want a hybrid selling model where, look, if I want to speak to you, I want to do it digitally or not at all, or only when I'm ready. And then you've got sales reps who, again, are like assuming that buyers are not coming equipped with knowledge. So I think it's this huge friction between what leaders think marketing is and what it actually is. And then on the flip side, marketers not being skilled and senior enough to be able to have that fight. They're going... I know I need new budget, but I don't know how to really create a strategy anyway. And I can't really convince you otherwise. And so then we just get stuck. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could totally see that, especially with the, um, the sort of junior marketer situation. They, they rise up the ranks. Then all of a sudden it's like, right, you know, you've done a great job um, delivering those email campaigns five years. Now, can you create the, the marketing strategy for the next two yeah. years? Yeah, uh, Absolutely. So- do you find that, um, that there's any kind of quick wins that th- those sorts of marketers can put in place to start thinking a bit more strategically? Or is it something they really have to go back to basics and really learn about the discipline of marketing? Yeah, I I do think that what happens is we get excited with the shiny object syndrome. And, and I I feel comfortable talking about this to the marketing manager audience I've got on TikTok because I've, I've been there. It's not like I'm saying you're not strategic, you're thinking too tactically. It's more saying, look, here's what I did. And if you're facing that too, here's some of the things you can do. I I like to put into junior and mid-level marketers, even head of marketing's minds, if they're struggling with strategy, is a portion, 30, 40% of your time, you know, available time to learning and progressing. You know, Google best practice on different marketing models. Watch YouTube videos till you feel sick of the screen like really don't trust the business you're in to tell you how marketing works, go out and find best practice. And this is something I did very early into my career in places like B2B marketing. And you've obviously got Propolis, you know, places like that to really educate yourself on what best practice is so that when a leader says, oh, that's not how marketing works here. It's all about the relationship and we know what we're doing and you just need to create this collateral. Like we're asking, it's like, oh, hey guys, I'm going to circulate a recent report that came out that I found on wherever, Gartner, Forrester, Adobe, whoever, B2B marketing, have a read because I really think it can challenge some of our assumptions. And it's like that that being that internal consultant and being quite bold. So a lot of the coaching work, and I'm soon launching a course for marketers, is helping them to have those assertive conversations and not to kind of shrivel up when challenged, but appropriately be able to have, okay, did you know this about our exact buyers? I've done some insight work they find us too pushy in our sales approach or whatever it is and just equipping ourselves with knowledge I have coached people recently who have literally come back to me after three sessions and said I've tripled the budget they're finally listening to me that report landed on them and then the CEO saying thanks Jade you know they've stepped up they're asking strategic questions I really respect where they're coming from and I'm listening to them now so it's like that kind of gap between marketers not taking leaders not taking marketers seriously because marketers are unable to step up and challenge it's like if you are challenged and you just shrivel up why would they start to value your views more it's that type of stuff 
Yeah. And as you said, you know, a lot of those leaders are kind of stuck in sort of 2008, as you say. So there's almost, it sounds like a need to market marketing sort of within the organization, try and change the perceptions of the department. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, a lot of the time marketers will whine and moan and I did as well. So it's not a diss. <laughs> oh, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. It's like, well, we're in one of the most dramatic shifts I would argue in history of how people buy and we have to make a case in our internally to really educate and nurture. So it's almost like you could think 50% of your job is to educate customers to want to buy from you. And 50% of your job is to educate internally as to what marketing's role needs to be. I also spoke to a, a big tech company in, I think they're in LA the other week. Um, and they were saying that I asked where the pressure when sales are down goes, where is the pressure? And they're like, it's all on sales. Sales get all of the pressure if there are no deals coming in. And actually, I think that's a problem too. And that is why sales are often aggressive toward marketing, because really, when you think about it, the pressure to get opportunities in the pipeline today should really be on marketing. But because we're not resourcing marketing effectively and being strategic, the pressure is going on to sales who are then just becoming more aggressive in their approach and becoming more obsessed with just closing people rather than adding value that it becomes a really big issue. So there's just so many things that that shoot out from this. Yeah. Yeah, I can completely see that. I mean, you mentioned as well, we're, we're in one of the biggest dramatic shifts in terms of how people buy. Um, I, I completely agree with that. But I'm interested to see how do you think that people are changing the way they buy? Yeah, I um, I put out a post on TikTok recently that went pretty viral and, and definitely polarized people. And you can certainly see where people don't want to see change. I would say about 80% of the people responded with like, I'm so glad someone's saying this, this is exactly it. And 20% of people saying you're out of your mind, you're mental, like actually quite nasty comments as well. But um, it was, there's a, a report out, there's, it's, it's not actually new at all, but McKinsey's, the future of B2B sales is hybrid. And they were talking about the fact that like post COVID, um, people want to buy how they want to buy. So the relationship factor of like, oh, let's meet up for coffee and dinners is is kind of gone now. And we know that we can, in many cases, deal with anyone around the world where we want to digitally self-serve the information we need and we can research for ourselves. And then only when we feel we really need to, do we want like a bit of a hybrid sales model? Like, oh, can you can I just talk to your web chat to ask some questions and I expect and demand that the quality of responses be be decent or if I want a quick zoom call for 30 minutes I just want to get straight into it and ask you four very bespoke questions to my needs I couldn't find online I don't want you to speak to me and present to me for an hour on things I've already researched and people are not recognizing this I think and and what was staggering was that there were thousands of comments on it but many of them were actually buyers themselves saying, I wish sales would stop asking me to have meetings or hop on a call. I absolutely do not want to. And they were affirming the fact that they want people just to be there when needed as experts, get them over the line, but they want to find their own information. It's like the dreaded Zoom call, isn't it, today, I think. Pre-COVID, maybe buyers were happier to have meetings, but now it's like, oh gosh, another meeting on Zoom. I'm so sick of looking at the screen. Um, and so... The stat that I shared that that made people go crazy, um, and to be fair, it lacked context, um, 
was that this McKinsey article said that 27% of B2B buyers would be comfortable to spend up to half a million dollars through either hybrid sales model or digital self-service. So I went pretty hard on the digital self-servicing. It was like, you know, this idea that just because you say you would spend up to half a million dollars doesn't mean you are. It's just saying I would be comfortable to if through digital self-service, all of my concerns, questions were answered. So let's imagine that 95% of our target ideal clients' issues are, the, are roughly the same. What can we do in our brands to serve that information up to them in explainer videos, in you know mass consulting approaches on webinars, whatever it is? And then the very final section could be that they want to just drop you an email and you've got to reply to that email. They don't want to call. Who knows? But it was very dramatic. And a lot of people attack this idea of, oh, 27% is very low. I have to disagree. That is staggering to me. That is a lot of people. And it probably reflects maybe more of the millennial buyers kind of moving up the ranks. But 73% said they'd be comfortable with 50,000. So it was like, there's a trend here. It's interesting. Um, and I think what B2B marketers can do is really just get this type of information in front of leaders to be like, people are changing and we only have to look at how we buy things. I know myself, if I'm buying anything for my business or on behalf of my clients, the call in the diary is the absolute last thing I want. And if I can find the information I need, I'm more likely to choose a vendor over another in my experience. Yeah. I mean, it could be that... Oh, that know, was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good answer, though. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be that e-commerce is the way to go in some cases. I mean, one example that I find bizarre but also incredible is that you can buy a jcb off their website and they'll deliver it to you like amazon which just feels like that shouldn't so cool. <laughs> shouldn't happen right um but equally you know i i think the core of what you're saying is that people just want to research on their own terms they don't want to jump on a sales call especially if they don't know anything about the company i mean if i'm thinking about mm -hmm. buying a product just for like my own house let's say the first move i'm going to do is go on google and start looking at all the options looking at the prices looking at the specs looking at you know what people have to say about it what i'm certainly not going to do is jump on a one hour long phone call with a salesperson trying to pitch it to me and i think that same mindset yeah. is completely relevant in b2b it's, it's almost strange that we would think it isn't yeah i think i really agree with that and i think that where this is so huge is that if you think about, let's go back to 2009 when I first started in marketing, SEO was very new. So like I kind of was like, oh, I'm going to learn a bit of SEO. And I got to the top of the page easily because it was just like so new as a, a mainstream thing. And at that time, our websites were more like brochures. There were some companies who didn't even really have them. And they were like, oh, you don't really need those. And they were a place to just verify that a company was professional and that you could, they would legit, you know, that was kind of the place and I think, again, businesses have got stuck there. You know, at that time, the only way to access genuine expert advice was to speak to someone. So I remember picking marketing agencies as a marketing assistant in 2009 and having several long phone calls to be like, well, what, what should be included in a marketing plan? How would this, like them educating me? So I would spend like I think I had a website project. We needed a whole new website for our international for our, our national business. And I think I did an hour and a half calls with four web companies and four SEO companies. And I was learning from them and the people who could give me the most valuable stuff. That's who I would go with. 
or the people I was like, actually, that doesn't sound like it lines up to me from what I've learned from the books I've been reading, I wasn't as interested in. So we're assuming that people still need that person to give that information, but they just don't. And there's also that skepticism factor, isn't there? Like, of course, you'd say you're really good, but I'm reading review sites on the best accounting software for a business like mine, and you're not on there. So definitely not speaking to you. And so it's this lag. And and to your point about how we buy in B2C, I'd argue, you know, we recently um, remortgaged, which is the worst time in history to remortgage, I guess. But, you know, we didn't speak to someone. Is that not the biggest, most important purchase you can ever make? It was like, here's the options. We did some scouring, we did some searching, all went through, signed all the paperwork. You know, B2C brands have always been used to making sure that there's a digital self-service element. It's like everything you need if you go to buy. Someone actually commented on the TikTok that I mentioned. They were like, I bought my 70 grand Tesla just from the website. I customized it all. I read everything I needed. I watched all the videos. I just pressed buy, add to cart. So personal spending your own 70,000. We do need to take inspiration from B2C because as consumers, when we come home and compare a dishwasher online and then decide which we're buying, what that will do psychologically, and I'm not a scientist or anything, but it's just to me, basic common sense. We're reducing our own frustration tolerance in a sense, if we don't have to go into a shop anymore and talk to a person about which one should I buy, we can literally go on Amazon and buy whatever we want and get it the next morning just because we read a few reviews and asked a few friends on WhatsApp. That is going to filter into how frustrated we get with poor experiences when buying at work. Yeah, And I would argue that that is the future of B2B, isn't it? Is that like digital experience and customer experience being what differentiates brands? Yeah, I completely agree. I was going to add, um, how do you actually, so we both agree, obviously, that, you know, people want to buy on their terms, they don't want to be sold out. Few. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but how how do you actually sort of organize your marketing to um, to adapt to that? Is it just about kind of making loads of, creating loads of content that people can learn about your products, your services, or is there something a bit more complicated going on? David, this is what keeps me awake at night. And because <laughs> I don't know if like many B2B companies, especially in the SME, are, are ever going to get to this. And is it just a case of waiting for the new wave of businesses in 10, 15 years to just set up going in the right direction? Like there are still conversations going on where marketing managers are begging their directors to invest in a CRM. And, and decent decent dashboards so they can analyze marketing campaigns and brand positioning and a, a website that works on a basic level. And it's like, I can't believe these conversations are still up for debate. Like, how are we going to move to this next level of serving how buyers want to buy when we can't even get the basics off the ground? Then at the same time, not to be too like biased towards the future of marketing and like people need to change. You could argue that if all players in one category aren't going to change. Buyers just have to lump it and and kind of stick with with that. So you could also argue that, well, look, if no one's moving, it doesn't really matter. But it obviously presents a brilliant opportunity for the companies who do want to better meet buyer needs. I think in terms of like what you could do, like if you've got an inspired marketing manager listening right now and they're like, I want to present change. I think it's like looking at case studies of best practice. So EY, for example, are a company that really inspire me, how they've integrated and aligned 
using AI as a co-pilot. They talked recently at a summit I was at about this idea of like real-time customer data profiles being used. So rather than having segments of customers, you have individual customers where data is fed in about what they have actually done as an individual, what content they've consumed, what platforms they've interacted with the brand on. And then when they engage with sales, sales have access to that live information to directly tailor conversations to exactly what they care about rather than them as a segment. And I find that very interesting. So things like AI would prompt the salesperson on here are five suggested things you could talk to these guys about, please adapt to how you suit. And the salesperson then goes in with the right message. Now, obviously that is relatively unattainable for many of us if we've got limited budgets, but it's that inspiration factor. I would recommend starting with like a simple map out the buyer journey, understand from the ideal client, what are their frustrations at each stage? And what information could we be providing digitally to help satisfy? Oh, sorry, to help satisfy those issues, and then figure that out. So, for example, with my business, I don't have any sales calls at all. It all the, the coaches, the clients come in. They just book online because the trust has been built on TikTok. They've binge listened to the podcast, and then many will join my monthly free webinar, which is essentially a mass consulting approach any questions and struggles you're having, I can answer you, but there's a hundred other people there. And so when you think about that, that's a form of digital self-service. It's like hop on, we'll answer anything you're struggling with. Oh, how does this service work? How do you help with that? You're giving that advice, but you're doing it to a hundred people at a time. So really thinking about simple things like explainer videos, you know, what's the biggest challenge they're having and answer it with your subject matter expert. And then repurpose that and chunk it down and just give people what they're looking for where possible give pricing indications don't make them have a call with you for pricing where possible that type of stuff yeah i think that's really solid advice and you've mentioned um you know tiktok a few times and we were always going to talk about it today so um <laughs> tiktok and b2b are obviously i i think it's fair to say two things that you kind of rarely see <laughs> together um you being one of one of the exceptions of course but why do you think that is? Is it just down to the audience not necessarily being on there? Or is it just that, frankly, people don't want to see a lot of formal sort of B2B content in their downtime? I think it all comes back to that B2B marketing gap that I talk about. So you can always try a channel and then say it doesn't work because of the channel. I, you know, I've heard people say, oh, email marketing doesn't work for us. Like, well, the content was probably not right the consistency the approach the the funnel you know you're not going to send one email and get three inquiries back you have to trickle nurture people provide value and so I think that the reason that I don't recommend TikTok to B2B brands most of them is that they have a ton more things to focus on first it's like don't go down the shiny object route of all these new channels, get the basics right first, get your data sorted, your CRM strategy, your positioning, your messaging frameworks, nail down your ideal client, know exactly what you sell to who and why you're better than the other options available, you know, get a decent marketing plan in place that's clearly articulating here's how we're going to get from where we are now to where we need to be and with what budget, get all that stuff nailed 
And then once you've got a good content engine going on and you've got your subject matter expert providing very good value, yeah, absolutely. Then with your repurposed content, put it on TikTok and have it as an experimental channel. But a lot of the time I see TikTok channels not get off the ground because they're not adapting to the culture of the platform. And this is something that Gary Vaynerchuk talks about a lot is that the most important thing for a social media platform to be successful is that we are aware of the culture there. So little things like um, people make fun of us millennials on, I'm, I'm sure you're not a millennial. I think I might be older than you, but um, I am a millennial, but <laughs> you are just. too. Okay. I'm an elder millennial. And so when I first started posting on TikTok, it was like, ha ha millennial pause. And I was like, what is this? And I had to Google it. And it was basically that when um, a person of my age presses play on a video, we have a short time where we look to make sure it's definitely recording um we we just check in it's definitely recording and then we talk and that's called the melanin pause so imagine i go press play hi what i want to talk to you about today is that's called the millennial pause and the culture of the platform is that you've got like not long enough like if you do that so what i now do is i trim that right out i get straight into the hook give the advice and the the value immediately. And I even trim even down to like 0.2 seconds of a, of a break between sentences. So that it's like bang, 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 bang. And that's the culture of the platform. It's also much more relaxed place. So it's kind of like, you know, providing advice in a format. And the best description I've ever heard that I do every time I post is imagine your friend just WhatsApped you a question. Hi, how do I write marketing objectives? I'm too busy to type a reply. So I'm just going to grab my phone, press court record and respond to my friend casually to say, if you want to set marketing objectives for a B2B company, here's four things you need to think about. One, two, three, four. Listen to my podcast episode for more help. It's very like to the point and 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 going for it. So what happens is B2B companies, they try it and they go, oh, it doesn't work for us. It's useless. But actually TikTok's algorithm is insanely specific that it will only serve your video if it's genuinely of value to an audience so now i i've got a quite a large following for, for like being a micro influencer i guess twenty three thousand followers and every single video i have to work hard there's no like i could get twenty thousand likes on one and then the next one get eight likes it's every individual video is based on its own merit whereas i find on channels like instagram if you've got a large following you will typically get pretty good engagement per post, even if it's not your best work. So I would say that one of the ways B2B companies can use TikTok is with influencers. So if there's influencers who are speaking to your audience, work that out, um, work out if your audience is on TikTok. And I would argue that there are more Gen X and older people on TikTok than we think. Um, I think my demographics are something like, um, I think 55% are above 35. So there's actually more people older than 35 out of my audience on there. And I think 10% are over 60, which blows my mind. So yeah, let's not make assumptions about it just being kids on there. Let's figure out which channels are best. And the other last point um, is we need to be on fewer channels as our pillar platforms. We need to be going, okay, where are we going hard? Okay, for me, it's TikTok and LinkedIn. And Instagram, I'm pretty useless on. Same with Twitter and a bit of threads and a bit of YouTube. But you have to really go, right, that is our strategy. We're going hard on that one. 
otherwise you become fairly weak on all of them rather than very strong on a couple of them yeah it's fascinating and i full of gen z bullies by the sounds of it as well um picking on your paws it's it's interesting i would say 95 percent of my comments and interactions are absolutely wonderful and, and i've loved I've loved building, I guess you could call it a community of marketing managers who are feeling undervalued and Gen Z are like a huge part of that. And it's been lovely, lovely, because I think my content is attracting ambitious, hardworking um, Gen Z marketers who are like, oh, I just want to learn. Like I'm I'm not being valued. I'm being treated badly. And those are the guys that I just have so much love for. Um, And that's what I'm building the course around how to be a B2B marketer is this idea of like, you'll need to be strategic, you'll need to handle difficult scenarios. But yeah, there are a small portion. And and actually the most hate I get is from Gen X and older, because they don't want to hear it, that buyers have changed. So they're like, ha ha, little girl, this is so silly. I've not laughed so much in all my life. Like that's the meanest thing I get. And I'm a bit like, hey, which, which item were you not comfortable with? Let's have a conversation. And then I kind of am able to unpack it with them. And they're like, Ah. so yeah I, I kind of interestingly have found that it's because of the content of what I'm putting out it's, it's older people who are not liking it and younger people who are like oh my gosh I've been saying this for ages yeah oh well that, yeah lovely then um I think we've got time for one more um question then we'll wrap up so when I think of TikTok I just think of kind of like fun kind of some sometimes not saying your content obviously but kind of stupid videos that I kind of scroll mm-hmm. through and it's just mindless entertainment a lot of the time and there is obviously some really good content on there as well such as your own but do you find that whatever you create you almost have to have that element of sort of fun about it because you're competing with so much other content on there it's so easy to just go oh next is that something you find yeah I I think the reason that mine has done okay is that I've I decided to just be completely comfortable with who I am and create content that I would enjoy when I was younger and so the need to create funny skits and stuff, like if I fancy it, because I love, I do love making those. If I fancy it, I do the funny daft limp syncing ones. But if I don't, I won't. And so I think what what people sometimes misunderstand with TikTok is that it's really about entertainment and also resonating through vulnerability. So the most engagement I've ever had on a TikTok was I just finished in the gym and I was feeling a bit sad because a friend had told me something awful that happened to their family. And I just pressed play and I said, you know what, guys, like, I promise that what you're going through at work is going to get better. And it's really not as big a deal as you think. And it feels so heavy right now and it feels impossible to get through this, but it is not that important. Marketing is just selling a bunch of stuff. It doesn't matter. And people went crazy for it because it was that kind of like, oh, I just needed this. So I kind of position myself in my head as like the marketing director they wish they could go to and just being that friend, that person. And I think brands are able to emotionally connect through a frustration that someone's feeling, not necessarily talking about vulnerability if you're like a serious B2B company, but if you had a subject matter expert talking like, hey, a common frustration with IT services is this, this and this, computer says no mentality you know, when you look at it at this angle, here's some data, like whatever it is, it's just meeting people where they're at with a problem they're going through and providing some form of digestible, easy to follow response. And I and I do think people use TikTok to learn. 
I I do when I'm scrolling, I do enjoy some of the funny, stupid things and others I just scroll past and think, oh, but when I see someone who like is genuinely going to teach me something and I think, oh, that is definitely like for me, I will binge their channel and click their link and, and go through that. So it's, it's, I think it's interesting for B2B. I think it's not the first channel that I recommend for sure, which is weird given that I'm a B2B TikToker. Um, it really depends on the audience. But yeah, that in a nutshell is what I think. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Jade. I really appreciate it. Um, and for all our listeners as well, uh, you know, do check out B2B Jade. I've seen uh, plenty of TikToks and they are really, really helpful um, and succinct and to the point as well, which I think I think is important. Um, so, Jade, thank you very much. Thanks so much, David. See you soon. Bye. Thank you.